Spooky Natural. I'm Nate, and I'm here with my co-host Lee. Hello. <laughs> and this week we are continuing with the finale of our series. Continuing with the finale, doing the. This is the this is the last episode <laughs> of the three um, of the Exorcism of Robert Mannheim. Now, obviously, we missed last week due to some personal stuffs, but we are still keen to learn what happens next in our oh, yeah. trilogy of fear. I don't know. Shit's about to get real. Yeah. Lee, how are you? I'm okay. I'm currently over visiting with my parents and it's funny how quickly you can revert to being a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> I have found myself wanting to throw myself on the floor and have a tantrum several times. So yeah, are you also wearing your hair in pigtails or is that unrelated? That my hair is not in pigtails, it is in a ponytail. Singular. Okay, okay. We'll let it go. It's fine. And how are you? I'm well. I've discovered I have a new least favourite place to be tattooed. It's right on the elbow. I really thought you were going to say dick then. <laughs> no, 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 no. My, my weenus, my weenus, but not my penis. Um, yeah, it's it's very uncomfortable. Anyway, on to told Robert. We still know him at Robert as Robert uh, Robbie at this point, don't we? Yeah, Robbie. yeah. Robbie, little Rob. Okay. Little Rob. That's his rap name, little Rob. <laughs> The last episode ended when our priest, Bowden, realised that his job wasn't over yet. And to be honest, he had no fucking clue how long it was going to last. Oh, I can imagine yeah. when he's in the midst of it, he's like, I, does this have an ending? I don't know. Is this <laughs> life now? So a new pattern starts to emerge. Robbie is the same old happy kid that he always has been during the day. But as soon as darkness falls, he becomes this violent thrashing menace or a teenager as I like to call them Bowden was tired like he's still carrying on his usual duties at the church that he is the priest of and then having to do this at the night times and it's going on until the early hours of the morning priests are very notorious for getting up at those early hours of the morning so the man is shattered and he's not young like Mm. this isn't a guy who's in his heyday he's past his heyday the yeah. salad days are over. He's old. What's the what? What does hay become after it's no longer hay? Just fertilizer, I suppose. He's compost. Oh, these, are his, these are his compost days. <laughs> his compost days. Oh no, I like that actually. Post hay, horseshit. I like that. Okay. The other thing is as well is that Bowden had been sworn to secrecy by his archbishop. So when people are like, "Oh, he seems a bit off his game," he can't say it's because I'm performing an exorcism every single fucking night yeah so during the day he was delivering his sermons and really trying to rebuild the strength of his faith I suppose um because as it as it might do his faith was starting to not wane completely but it wasn't as strong as it was before he met Robert Mannheim (laughs) yeah absolutely so far the exorcism had lasted for three days 
and the priest had really started to dread awakening the beast in Robbie because he could see the physical toll it was taking on him as well. Yeah. And it started to feel kind of like the demon was using Robbie in order to destroy Bowden because destroying a priest's soul, I suppose, is a bigger achievement than ruining the kid. Do you think it was the... Do you think it was the demon's intention to draw in a priest in order to attack them, or does he feel like it's just probably an yeah? Oh, okay. Well, if you refer back to the Roman ritual, it tells you to not engage with the demon, and I suppose if you can find a priest whose will isn't as strong, and they start to, you know, conversate with the demon, mm. um, that is, I suppose, uh, a backdoor into the priest and. You know, ruining his soul. <laughs> did you just say backdoor into the priest? <laughs> yes, I did. Uh, not yeah. not his butthole. <laughs> oh, okay, just to just to clarify, it's a little bit fucking narcissistic, isn't it? When you think about it, like oh a yeah, this, this, this demon definitely just wants me. Like get over yourself, Bowden. That is a, a bit of a common theme with this dude, though. Oh, um, where he's like, I'm the sole savior. It's only me that can do this. Uh, I am the chosen one. Uh, Bowden was telling himself that he couldn't allow himself to give in to despair and he must not flinch in the face of evil. When he arrived at the home on March 10th, he immediately got the feeling that this could be the worst night yet. And I feel like every time he's gone there, he's like, oh, this could be the worst night yet. So that to yeah. me means it, it's escalating. It's, it's getting worse. It's getting closer to true diabolical possession. Mm. Um, so he started his prayers good old Halloran was holding down the kid as the tempo quickened in uh, Bowden's speech Robbie began to urinate soaking (laughs) the blanket that covered his body and this kid is going from like 10pm until 3am in the morning having these exorcisms that is a very long time to be sat in clothes that you've pissed in uh, Bishop noted in his diary that it was a putrid stench that filled the room and it was unbearable. Uh, I suppose, yeah. But this, it was, it said one of the worst smells he's ever smelled in his life. That kind of smelly smell. Exactly. So uh, the family and the priest were trying to cover their mouths and noses to stop themselves from retching. Bowden once again demanded the beast reveal its name. Robbie pissed again. He's <laughs> the most hydrated kid. kid on the planet. I know. What are they giving him? At this point, Robbie seemed to appear to snap out of his trance and he doubled over in pain and he told his mum that it felt like his throat and his penis were on fire, both of which <laughs> do not sound like pleasant sensations. <laughs> no, <they don't. laughs> Can you imagine my knobs on fire? <laughs> Bowden said he wanted to scream and curse the demon for hurting the child. But as we mentioned earlier, he knows that he can't directly engage it because that is a doorway, a back door into the priest, as it were. (laughs) He started his prayers once more. He made the sign of the cross above the child's head and placed the end of his stole, which is the purple scarf Mm -hmm. thing that they wear. He placed that around Robbie's neck and then placed his right hand on the child's forehead and bellowed, Behold the cross of the Lord, be gone, ye hostile powers. 
Okay, just quickly circling back. He can't address the demon, but is that not what he's doing by saying, behold, you oppressive, whatever it was? I suppose it's he can't respond to what the demon is saying. So they have these rules that they have to follow right. and a certain pattern of of prayers. Okay. And like he's asking it, the demon to tell me your name. When are you going to depart? Right. But he can't respond to what the demon says. Like he fights back with prayer, I suppose. Right. Okay. 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 So he he can sort of preach to it, but he can't have any sort of exactly. active. Okay. The tension is in the room, and Robbie's body started to relax. But just as Bowden was about to start his prayers again. An angelic voice began to sing. In the last episode, there was a voice that was not angelic. It was horrible. Something that probably sounds like my singing voice. But this was angelic. And Bowden looked down and realised it was coming from Robbie. Worlds away from the screeching they'd heard before. In fact, it was so beautiful that Bishop asked the family afterwards if Robbie had been classically trained as a singer. <laughs> and they said no. And said he would never have sang in front of somebody because he didn't have the confidence to do that. Mm. But you know, it didn't last long, as is the the pattern with poor Robbie. Uh-huh. His face cracked and it settled into an evil grimace, and he screamed out a priest's name. In the diary, it doesn't say whose name left the lips of the the boy, uh, and there is another point further on where the same thing happens. He doesn't say who this priest was. I don't think it was somebody who was involved in the exorcism, mm-hmm. but, it, but it, was a, it was a threat nonetheless. Bowden ignored this, and this really seemed to piss the demon off, and he lashed out at Halloran, this poor guy, while shouting, the... you stink! <laughs> the football the, the football guy again, okay. okay. Yeah. He's holding his legs down. And the the demon's so annoyed that Bowden isn't responding to him. Halloran gets the uh, the abuse. Poor lad. Yeah. He only thought he was helping with errands. Yeah. The family and priest had settled into this new hellish routine, the holy men praying and battling evil until Robbie slipped into what they keep referring to as a natural sleep. When this happened, Phyllis, his mother, stripped the boy of his soiled pyjamas and changed the soaking wet sheets. The following day, the show started again at eight o'clock. Within 15 minutes of Bowden beginning his prayers, Robbie was thrashing, lashing out at anyone who could reach. Like if if you wriggled free and you were in punching distance, you were going to get punched. Hmm. That was a given. Once again, the priest believed that this could be the worst night yet. He physically assaulted Halloran again while laughing hysterically. <laughs> and he really seemed to take delight in urinating on himself and others. Jesus. And I t- tried to be a grown up when I wrote this, but honestly, I'm not. And he started to break wind loudly and laughed. <laughs> Which I feel like I do that with my friends. We all do it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, I don't know how he wouldn't. I, don't know, I was going to say I don't know how he wouldn't laugh at that, but I suppose they're in the midst of a, an exorcism. It's not really a, it's not really a jovial time. No, if I was like 
one of those family members, I think I would have to put my hand over my mouth so that people wouldn't notice that I'm laughing. Yeah, if he's just cackling uncontrollably while pissing his pants and farting, that's hilarious. <laughs> Especially when they like, like my little sister does this thing where she'll laugh so hard that she farts, and that's just fucking brilliant. <laughs> Maybe it's, it's the same thing. Every now and again, the theatrics ceased, and it seemed like that scared little boy re-emerged. And he kept complaining that the urine was burning him, like it was burning his penis, as we discussed. But also, wherever it spread on the sheet, if like you know, if it was touching his knee, that burned. If it was touching his abdomen, that burned. Uh-huh. But as quickly as that mask slipped, it was back on, and Robbie would return to his violent ways. Bishop in his diary noted that the room was rank smelling with a putrid fog hanging in the air and invading everyone's nostrils. <laughs> the boy snapped his head suddenly to the side and stared at Bowden directly, and he started to scream, Get away from me, you assholes! Go to hell, you dirty sons of bitches! Cool. <laughs> That's so, it reminds me of John Wayne. I know that this isn't John Wayne. <laughs> I don't think I ever like heard... a, I never, I never watched the John Wayne film where he said, you dirty sons of bitches. That's a new one. It just, I bet there is one. <laughs> According to Bishop's diary, the voice that was coming out of Robbie was unearthly, deep, menacing, and could not have come from the boy. But Bowden never lost his focus, even when he was being pissed on and spat on. Halloran held on as tight as he could. Um, as Bowden was his mentor, he wanted to protect him at all costs. But the family was really struggling to keep it together, as you would expect. Nobody was sleeping. They urged Phyllis and Carl to find alternative help, uh, despite them being the ones who suggested seeking help from the Catholic Church. But old uh, Lutheran minister Schulz was telling them that they needed to come home and seek help from a doctor. And he keeps referring to this doctor that's sympathetic to the case, but mm-hmm. doesn't elaborate on that. Fair enough. Bowden did, Bowden did think it might be a good idea for Robbie to stay in hospital, at least for a night, and that would allow the family some respite so everyone could sleep. It was decided that Robbie would go to the Alexian Brothers Hospital in St. Louis. This hospital was originally founded to, uh, to look after victims of I think, the Black Death or the Plague, uh, and it's run by an order of monks uh, and their little advertising slogan was specialising in treating idiots and lunatics of the male sex. Hmm. Business should be booming. (laughs) On March 21st at 10pm, Robbie was admitted and placed in a secure room. And this really was a secure room. There were straps that would cross his chest and then loop around his ankles and wrists on the bed. There were bars on the windows, and there wasn't even a doorknob on the inside of the room. So if you were inside and wanted to leave, you had to knock on and wait for somebody to open it for you. Um, which doesn't really seem ideal if you're in a room with a demon. No. Brother Bruno, who was in charge, ordered that a second bed be placed inside this room so that Carl could sleep near his son. He didn't want him to be on his own. Which I suppose is fair, because he's been through a lot. Once the two had settled, the prayers began again. Everyone had braced themselves for another night of horror, but nothing happened. 
Robbie actually seemed more scared of his surroundings than he did of anything demonic that could happen to him, which is fair. His window had bars. He was strapped to the bed. Soaked in his own piss, reeking of farts, and an old man screaming in his face. Sounds like Catholicism. (laughs) (laughs) At 11.30pm, Bowden rapped loudly on the door and was let out. And the boy and his dad drifted off into, you know, a peaceful night's sleep. But the boy was far from cured. When he returned home the next night, the bed began to shake pretty much as soon as he climbed into it. The priest returned and attempted to expel the evil. The following two nights were very peaceful. And Bowden believed that this was a sign that the grip that the demon had on Robbie was loosening. So he came up with a new plan. He would convert Robbie to a Catholic as he had a, quote, soldierly desire to enlist the boy into the ranks of what Bowden perceived to be as the strongest force that could be brought to bear on the weakening demons. Demons. Robbie's parents gave permission and then he started his studies immediately because I don't know if you know this, but you have to study to become a fucking Catholic. You have to go to lessons with the priest. Is it not just like a pop quiz on the Bible? Or... No, no. There's a whole thing before it. You have to go for these lessons. You have to tick off a lot of boxes. It's definitely not worth it. No, I was just going to say, I can't <laughs> say I, uh, I can't say I'll be putting the work in on that. No, we converted, I suppose, at a later age. My mum is Catholic, but we... Uh, were christened in a C of E church, mm-hmm. but my mum wanted to get us into a better school, <laughs> so she converted us. And uh, every week, I'd go and have biscuits and tea with Father David while he rambled about the Bible. The best bit of that was the biscuits. Yeah, I mean, it could be worse. It was like it was like going to Sunday school for me. It was just basically ignore the Jesus rhetoric and play in the sandpit for a bit, like. <laughs> That was the highlight. Yeah, there was, a, there was a lot of Jesus to to mine. Plus, you had to you have to pick a, a confirmation name, which is the name of a saint. So it goes in your name. So like I would be Lee, middle name, confirmation name, surname, mm-hmm. and you can just pluck one out of thin air. <laughs> and I did. I was like Catherine, and he was like, "Oh, that's an excellent choice. Saint Catherine is blah blah." blah. I was like, "Cool, let's go with that." <laughs> <laughs> Did he just know all the saints off the top of his head? That's terrifying. I felt like it. Like I don't think Google was as big as it is now. No, then. no. <laughs> so he must. He must know. During the day, Robbie was taught about his new religion, but during the night, Bowden was still going toe to toe with this demon. Bowden, Bishop Halloran, and a newcomer, Father William A. Van Roo, who was an expert theologian. They gathered round his bed and recited these prayers. But before Bowden had managed to finish the first line of the litany of saints, Robbie erupted. He thrashed his limbs in all directions and spat at every person in the room. Apparently he had this knack of getting you right in the face. That's <laughs> a talent. The men struggled to hold him down. He was squirming and wriggling and really trying his best to get out of their grip. Mm-hmm. He pissed himself again. Oh, Jesus, his go-to <laughs> so, move. I know. It's, like, it's a party trick. We've all seen it, mate. Do something new. 
<laughs> Enough with your acidic piss, Bobby. <laughs> and he soaked the sheets with, again, what's described as a foul-smelling liquid. I get the feeling that it's not just pee. So this next bit, I, I'm going to try and say this with a straight face, but I think I'm going to find it really hard. <laughs> Robbie started to scream and laugh diabolically. And then he broke out into a little ditty that he'd wrote. Are you ready? I think. I've got a beautiful pecker, a willy-dilly-pilly, so round, so firm, with a red top and a hole in the middle. And he turned to face Bowden and screamed, Oh, you have a big fat penis! <laughs> this kid needs some lessons in how to insult people. <laughs> yeah, that's what he told Halloran that he stinks, and now he's telling... Yeah. Do you not think that these do sound like the insults that a child would make? Oh. Yeah. Rather than a demon who probably knows every bad word in the book. And he's supposed to be able to like see into the priest and see what he fears. Yeah, unless he's got a, a crippling fear of having a fat penis. I don't know, maybe, maybe that cut deep with Bowden. Maybe. He didn't ever show it, though. Oh, true professionalism. Robbie managed to wriggle free. Everyone was so distracted by his song that Halloran lost grip on him. And then Robbie started to mime masturbating while still talking about his penis, Bowden's penis, everyone in the room who had a penis. <laughs> Robbie was tackled back down, but before he was restrained again, he managed to punch Halloran in the face and break the man's nose. Jeez. This guy, like, what did he do to deserve this? Oh, I love this. Poor man. So, again, the pattern changes. So now Robbie would study in the rectory, and then at the night he would be held prisoner by this demon who just isn't showing any signs of letting him go. Uh-huh. A new unnamed priest joined in. So we've got Van Roo, Bowden. Bishop, Paul Halloran, and now Priest A. And Robbie immediately focused his attention on him. And he spat, you big fat ass, you ox, what is the use of you being here? You'll be in hell by 1957. And according to Bishop, this particular priest had had a very, very big problem with drinking. And after that, he swore off booze for years (laughs) <laughs> because he thought he was going to die in 1957 if he didn't. That's a really... Just talking about the insults being quite juvenile in nature, that one's too specific, do you think? Yeah. Yeah, it does seem different, because he turns his attention back to Bowden after that mm. and says, cut out the damn Latin. Get away from me, you goddamn bastards. <laughs> Okay, he's turning it up. Yeah, um, but it does seem weird. There's very childish behaviour mixed in with some quite menacing behaviour. Yeah, but I suppose um, that's that that is demons, though, isn't it? That's the whole point of the demons. They are like they're mischievous in nature, but do it in quite a sinister way. It's got like really creepy undertones. So I, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, but also kids are sponges, aren't they? True. They soak up stuff that adults talk about. So, you know, these priests could be like, oh, we've invited priest A, but oh, is he going to be sober? Yeah. 
he didn't fall asleep until 2.30 that night or that morning, I suppose. And when Bowden finally got to sleep himself, he felt what he described as some elation with the expectation that tomorrow, on that jubilant feast, he would order the demons to depart and they would vanish from Robbie's body because he's the man. It's more narcissism. Yeah. As darkness fell that next day, Bowden felt like he was nearing what he called the final showdown. And when he entered the child's room, there was an odd calm hanging in the air. Robbie had slipped into a trance-like state, but there was no thrashing, no spitting or cursing. He hadn't pissed his pants. It's an improvement. But his body was rigid. You could almost imagine people sliding their hands underneath him and just lifting him up and he would still be in the same mm-hmm. shape. Carl moved closer to him because, you know, I assume when you're a parent, you have an instinct to want to protect your child. But the demon immediately switched on the lights and spat right in Carl's face. Jesus. This kid has too much liquid inside him. That's what I mean. He's so fucking hydrated. He began to squirm, jerk, again, causing the people that were holding on to him to lose their grip. He must have had this knack of twisting himself in a way that... Whoever was holding him couldn't twist with him. Yeah, like a crocodile. Yeah. Or is it alligators that do that? I don't know. Neither do I, I just agreed with you. What was it called? Like a death roll or something? It's called something. Cool. Yeah. It, I imagine it to be very similar, that they just can't follow where his body contorts to. Hmm. He managed to get up again. He swung his body off the bed and kicked a chair at his family. He was again recaptured and restrained. And the prayers continued until Robbie became still again. He didn't flinch when the sign of the cross was made over his head or when the water was sprinkled onto him. Robbie left the rectory and returned home to his uncle's house. But there was this palpable palpable tension among the family as in the last episode, I don't know if you remember, a cross, an X had appeared on his body. Mm -hmm. And Bowden and Bishop had believed that that was a sign that the possession would be 10 days long. Right, yeah. And this was the 10th day. So there was an assumption that this could that this could be the last day, but it also could be the worst day. And you could really feel it amongst everybody. But nothing happened that night or the next. And the tension began to ease and Carl and Phyllis actually started to talk about moving back home. Like the trouble had passed. Robbie continued his lessons at the rectory and Bowden visited the family house to bless each room. Robbie's uncle, aunt and cousins were really looking forward to having the house back, which I can imagine. So that night, the children went to bed at the same time. The adults were downstairs. You know, they were either reading or listening to the radio. At around 11.30pm, Robbie came downstairs and told his mum that he felt sick. He said that he was feeling hot, then cold. But his mum just told him to go back to bed. Everyone now believed that he was free of the demon. But when he got up to his room, he didn't just slip under the covers. Instead, he sat on the edge of the bed with, like, he'd moved the sheet so that the, the undersheet was covering his legs. Okay. If that makes sense? I think so, yeah. And he was sat at the edge and he was moving his finger across the sheet that was covering his legs like he was writing. And apparently there was a sound like chalk writing on a blackboard as he was moving his finger. 
Phyllis had come upstairs to check on her son, but when she saw him, she was, you know, horrified. Yeah. The family had come upstairs and they watched Robbie doing his little writing trick, but he also bowed his head and began to mumble things in a dead pan, in a dead pan tone. Um, and what he said is, I will stay 10 days, but will return in four days. If Robbie stays, if you stay and become a Catholic, it will stay away. God will take it away after four days. God is getting powerful. The last day when it quits, it will leave a sign on my front. Father Bishop, all people that mangle with me will die a terrible death. So I suppose if you keep running the microscope over that, you could find some meaning. But it's kind of nonsensical, really, until the last line about Father Bishop. Yeah. But also Elizabeth might not have heard it right. If he is mumbling and it's in like that monotone, true. She might have misheard and wrote things down incorrectly. True. True. While Elizabeth searched for a pencil and some paper, Phyllis ran to the phone to call Bowden. Now, as a threat had been made against Bishop, he didn't want to get him involved that night. So instead he called Father Van Roo. <laughs> when they arrived at around 1 a.m. Bowden read everything that Elizabeth noted down. He knew he mustn't ask questions and engage the demon. But when he began his prayers, he was interrupted when Robbie asked for a pencil. When I read that, the scene from The Dark Knight with the Joker and the pencil immediately popped <laughs> into my head. Disappeared. And I was I was bracing myself. But no, he just wanted it to write things down. <laughs> Bowden hesitated a little bit here because he didn't know whether this would be responding to the demon if he gave him a pencil but did some like mental gymnastics and decided that Robbie could write stuff down but he wouldn't respond to anything that was written down don't really get that logic because if someone when you're going in the name of the lord can I have a pencil and you go yeah yeah that is engaging with the demon (laughs) yeah Robbie began to write rapidly on the sheet and it sounded like they had reams of paper, do you know, like uh, like rolls. Yeah, yeah, like in like um, cartoon accountants. like. Yeah, yeah exactly okay. like that. Uh, and he filled about three feet of paper in minutes. Jesus. Because Bishop wasn't there, so no actual record was made, the account of what was written kind of differs <clears throat> and it's a bit fragmented. There's a general consensus that the night became frenzied and out of control. Uh-huh. The family who had been like the passive spectators had suddenly become participants because they were going to fetch paper, they were going to fetch pens. Yeah. And Bowden wasn't able to take full command of the room again. So Bowden shouted at everyone, be quiet. And that allowed him uh, a moment to just refocus his energies and his prayers. We don't know exactly what was written on this stream of paper. But again, there are some snippets that are consistent, depending on which family member you asked. There was a drawing of an unrecognisable, but certainly human face, under which the phrase dead bishop was scrawled. And apparently Bowden's eyes widened widened in horror when he read, you may not believe in me, then Robert will suffer forever. 
So this kind of encouraged the priest to induct the boy into the Catholic Church as quick as possible, as he believed that this would offer new protections, uh, protections that prayer alone weren't able to, to give. So Robbie's baptism was set for the 1st of April at St. Xavier's Church, 8pm. And that time specifically was chosen because it was before the strange demonic activity started in the evening. Uh The demon was a late riser. Uh When the day came, the family all piled into Uncle George's car and Bowden was waiting outside the church, you know, thinking, oh, my God, this is amazing. This is a new plan. Let's do it. Save the day. Go me. But while he stood there, he had no idea what was happening in the family car. When the uh, when Uncle George started to drive, Robbie started to complain about his feet, again saying that they were burning hot and freezing cold, which could be nerve damage. The boy could have nerve damage. Yeah, after all this flailing. Very true. The radio stopped mid-song and just started to emit static. Robbie suddenly screamed, so you're going to baptise me? Ha-ha! You think you would drive out, drive... Ha-ha! You think you would drive out with the Holy Communion? Ha-ha! And then he grabbed the steering wheel and swung the car towards the curb. George pulled the emergency brake, and that thing actually made things worse because the car then skidded into a lamppost. (laughs) Uh, And then, do you know, I don't know if you've ever been in a car accident, there's that moment of shock afterwards where... You're just catching your breath. Yeah. Everyone was doing that, and Robbie then decided to choke his mum. <laughs> Now's the time. So his dad had to peel his son off his wife. Like, it, it got to the point where people were trying to pull his fingers off one by one. Jesus. And then it was decided that Uncle George and Carl would sit in the back with... Robbie and kind of pin him in between the two of them. Okay. But that didn't work. (laughs) So when Aunt Catherine was driving the car, the two men were like, all right, everything started. He's stuck. He just lunged forward and started to choke Catherine as well. (laughs) (laughs) So it was a a consensus that they wouldn't try and drive the rest of the way. Yeah. Everyone got up and Carl and George were carrying Robbie as he was screaming. He was tearing at his own clothes. So when they finally arrived at the church, Bowden was like, what the fuck is going on? (laughs) This almost half-naked boy who was trying to punch anyone of his family he could uh, see. Bowden thought, maybe the church isn't the best place because he could desecrate it in some way. Jesus. Bigger picture. Yeah. Priorities, mate. So he directed the family to the rectory, which is next door. Uh-huh. Because it's a rectory, women can't come in. <laughs> so oh, Catherine, Elizabeth and Phyllis had to wait outside. They had to force Robbie into the building. Like It kind of sounded like they were using him as a battering ram to get through every door. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if we give him a concussion, he won't be so bad to deal with. Yeah, yeah, paralyse him and then what's he going to do? <laughs> so uh, in previous incidents 
Bowden realised that if he poured some water onto Robbie's head, he kind of came around a little bit and was less of a hassle to deal with. Mm-hmm. So he poured, just like a little bit, he poured a jug of ice water <laughs> over the kid's head. There you go. <laughs> but Bowden felt like he was in direct combat with evil. He asked Robbie, do you renounce Satan and all his works? And the boy thrashed and spat. He asked again. And the boy clawed at the hands that restrained him. Bowden asked a third and final time, and a weak voice responded, I do renounce Satan and all his works. Oh. That's how I imagine Robbie sounds. The first drop of holy water on Robbie's brow, though, triggered uh, a crazy fit of rage. He twisted and squirmed, and Bowden was like, I baptize, I baptize, I baptize thee in the name of the Father. The whole thing lasted about four hours because they had to restrain him, do the old holy water, mm-hmm. but then he'd wriggle away, restrain him again. Four hours. I know Catholics are renowned for having very long ceremonies. Yeah, but not quite but, to this length. Yeah, seems a bit much. After spending 15 hours straight raging inside the rectory, Robbie awoke around 9.30am the next day and immediately began thrashing. So Bowden made a decision that the boy would have his Holy Communion the next day. And you're supposed to wait in between. Usually it's years. So you're baptised as a baby. But Bowden could not wait that long. He had a plan and he knew what he had to do. So Robbie lay still while Bowden gave conditional absolution. And as the communion prayers began, he started to squirm again. And as Bowden moved closer to Robbie with the body of Christ, the old wafer, he began to like thrash and lash out at people again. So Bowden actually pried open Robbie's mouth and placed the wafer on his tongue. But he just spat it out. Oh. So after the fourth attempt at getting Robbie to swallow this wafer, Bowden took a prayer break and returned with renewed vigour The fifth attempt was successful and peace kind of settled over the group and they got into the rectory car to take Carl and Robbie home. However, (laughs) the child suddenly lurched forward and grabbed the driver by the neck. It doesn't say who the driver was. (laughs) I've just got a feeling it's Halloran, the poor guy. (laughs) (laughs) There with his broken nose and his football gear on. Uh, And he was pinned between his dad and Bowden for the remainder of the journey. The family's patience was paper thin. <laughs> and Uncle George was, like he was at his limit. Robbie had attacked his wife twice already. And one evening he'd been singing a song. And when George tuned in to what he was saying, he realised the song was about his son, Billy. And like whether it's Robbie or the demon, clicked that George had clicked and started to stare directly into his eyes as he sang, Billy, Billy will die tonight. And then in Bishop's diary, it says someone, but I think we can guess who, grabbed a pillow and tried to smother Robbie. (laughs) Hmm, I wonder who that could be. (laughs) So decision was made for Carl, Phyllis and Robbie to go home to Maryland. I like how he says it was a decision. Yeah, we don't want to see you ever again, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but they weren't going home alone. Bowden, Bishop and Van Roo went with them. 
And when they got there, they took the train again and the family was settling back into their own home. Bowden pays a, paid a visit to St. James's Rectory to see who else? Good old Father Hughes of Oh, the original Mannheim. guy. Yes. Uh-huh. And on the back of that meeting, Father Hughes took Bowden to meet his archbishop. Bowden explained that he needed to return home. It was coming up to Holy Week, which is, you know, the Easter Sundays, Good Fridays. Mm-hmm. And he needed to be there so that he could deliver his sermons and, you know, be back in his own community. Mm-hmm. But he said he would stay until someone else was appointed. And like Father Hughes and Archbishop Popeye were looking at each other going, absolutely not. And they said that as well. They were kind of like, I hope you're not intending or I hope you're not assuming that we are the replacements because we did that and uh, no. Didn't go so well. When uh, Bowden was talking to Hughes, he suggested hospitalising the kid again. But they didn't want a psychiatrist to commit him and then just write him off as a mental case because they didn't think that was it. You know, Bowden was convinced, and I'm pretty sure Hughes was also convinced that Mm. something had possessed the boy. Now, for some reason, it doesn't say why, but again, you can imagine the reason they didn't consider putting him back into the Georgetown hospital where Hughes almost lost an arm. Yeah, I think the um, the, the the springs and the mattresses were probably too much like fucking switchblades for that. Exactly. So Hughes drove Bowden to the Seton Psychiatric Institute in Baltimore, whose patients included many Catholic priests undergoing treatment. When Bowden explained what was going on, the nuns immediately agreed to take the boy, but the doctor stepped in and objected. They said, well, our facility relies heavily on state funding. And if they knew that we were admitting somebody for an exorcism, they wouldn't pay. Mm. And also, we don't know, like, dickheads amongst the medical community. <laughs> like, Yeah. Everyone's very concerned about protecting their own reputation. Yeah, their own image and, yeah, self-preservation. Doesn't seem very godly, does no. it? No. When Bowden returned to the Mannheim home, he observed new words that had been scratched into Robbie's skin. Hell and spite were scrawled across his chest, while the numbers 4, 8, 10 and 16 had appeared on his abdomen. When Bowden was looking at this, Robbie kind of like snapped his neck towards him, just like that quick turn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and said to Bowden, I will not go until a certain word is pronounced and this boy will never say it. And then he spat in everyone's face. (laughs) Van Roo notes that the drenching viscous spit in amounts that defied logic and also said that Bowden's glasses were so encrusted with the shit that he couldn't see. (laughs) Jesus. When, When Robbie slipped off, sorry, when Robbie drifted off to sleep, Bowden went downstairs and pleaded with Carl and Phyllis to return Robbie to the Alexian Brothers Hospital. He felt this was the best place for him. Carl and Phyllis kind of quickly agreed. They were like, yeah, I think you're right. (laughs) Things aren't better at home. They aren't better at Uncle George and Aunt Catherine's. But he'd had a pretty peaceful time at this hospital. Okay. So it, it does make sense why they agreed. 
The next day, the priests returned to continue the ritual. And Bishop wrote in his diary, there was filthy talk and movements and filthy acts on those at the bedside concerning masturbation, contraceptives and sexual relations of priests and nuns. After that, they endured three hours of being spat at, Robbie feigning masturbation, tearing at other people's clothes, tearing at his own clothes, ripping up sheets and throwing pillows everywhere. The next morning, the family and the priest got back on the train to St. Louis. Bowden said he felt spiritually strong, but physically weak. In the back of his head, he was, you know, recalling those stories of instances where priests became so weak during these exorcisms, they had to be replaced. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, priests died during the process. Yeah. So he was thinking, can I do this? Can I do this? But as he was thinking about who could replace him, he ended up convincing himself that he was the one, the chosen one. That's some kind of self-confidence that we could all deal with. Yeah. On Palm Sunday, Robbie returned to the same fifth floor room at the Alexian Brothers Hospital. Around 7pm, Bowden entered the room and he was closely followed by his little, little gang, Bishop Van Roo, and a new player, Father O'Flaherty. Oh, Bowden led the prayers and Robbie slipped into his sleep. No demonic activity was noted in Bishop's diary that night. The next night, Bowden returned again and he had his little, tro- his little troop, but this time Halloran was there. Halloran, why are you still there? Yeah, no one's forced him this time. He wasn't, he wasn't hoodwinked Mm-mm. into it under the guise no. of offering a lift. As the men began the rosary, Robbie started to scream in pain and a red blotch like blossomed across his chest and spread further with every repetition of the prayer. The word exit appeared in three separate places on his body, accompanied by an arrow that pointed to his penis, which is helpful, isn't it? Like we mentioned last episode, in medieval accounts of exorcism, they often say that demons exit via the back door or the the slide. Oh, shit. I don't believe that was the terminology that was used. (laughs) No. The ladder's reference. No. that, okay, that makes sense. Possibly. He snapped out of his trance again and complained that it felt like his kidneys were on fire and he lost control of his bladder and started to writhe around on the wet sheets. Bishop said that at this point it just looked like he'd lost control of his bladder, not that he was doing it on purpose. Mm. But who knows? Bowden decided that he should give him the Holy Communion in an attempt to strengthen his soul but this sent Robbie into a frenzy. Like he was writhing around, jerking around, thrashing so much that he had to be strapped to the bed again. But he managed to loosen the restraint enough to get a hand out. Then with all his might, he punched Bowden in the testicles and said, how do you like that for a nutcracker? <laughs> oh, the demon found a joke book. I love it. <laughs> So, as you could imagine, Bowden had to take a moment to uh, recover and compose himself. Mm-hmm. And while he was doing that, the restraints were tightened. I think that's a good idea. Yeah, no shit. So, Bowden came back with the wafer and placed it onto Robbie's tongue, but he spat it back straight into Bowden's face. The second time he was successful, and the child settled, became calm, and fell into a natural sleep again. 
The routine continued every night and Bowden and the child were both exhausted, both of them expending so much energy. Mm-hmm. On Easter Sunday, Bowden felt that there was a turning point and the demon was re-establishing its grip on Robbie. When the holy men entered the room, they said that their heads were filled with images of their worst nightmares. Uh, and these holy men were the monks that worked at the hospital, not the priests. Okay. They said they felt chills in their bodies and a putrid odour in their nostrils. Bishop noted that Robbie's stomach had distended and his features were so distorted, he seemed to be an altogether different person. Jesus. When he awoke on Easter Monday, he began to torment the monks who cared for him. He kicked one of the brothers who was at his bedside square in the face. He picked up a bottle of holy water and threw it upwards towards the ceiling so that when it smashed, everybody was showered with water and glass. And that was particularly terrifying for these men because holy water was supposed to repel demons and not provide ammunition for them. Mm. Which is, yeah, it's pretty fucking scary. When he'd settled and the men thought, like, okay, he's calm, they very nicely brought him a tray with a glass of milk and some cake and he repaid their kindness by throwing it square in their faces after that incident no brother slash monk would go near his room on their own oh yeah understandable meanwhile Bowden had been reading the pages of the Roman ritual again looking for an answer that could end this nightmare and he realised that he had allowed the demon in And it had been toying with him because it allowed him and Bishop to believe that this was only going to last for 10 days. So he replayed every night that he'd been near the boy over and over in his head until he could find something that he might have missed, some crumb of information that could, I suppose, lead him to finally expel this evil. Mm -hmm. And he did remember something. He remembered when the demon had said to cut it out with the Latin. So he thought, what if he demanded his responses in English as opposed to Latin? But why would that make any fucking difference whatsoever? I have no idea, but Bowden believed this was the key. Fair enough. And he was, as Alan described, reinvigorated. Right. And determined to keep his mind strong. He made a vow to not pay the demon any attention and instead would search for a sign from God that this has ended. He wouldn't leave it up to the demon to be like, I'm going now. He wanted God to say this is over. So when Bowden arrived at the hospital, he found a group of brothers holding the child down. And when he asked what was going on, they said that he had feigned this snap out of the trance like he had pretended that he was just normal Robbie and he'd asked to speak to his mother on the phone so they'd released him but when they had he'd just gone wild and attacked everybody possible (laughs) and they were fearful that what you know what would happen if he escaped the hospital they believed that he was becoming murderous Bowden began his prayers this time in a softer less commanding voice And he asked in English for the demon to tell him his name and the hour of its departure. But nothing happened. 
that is until Bowden switched back to Latin. Robbie began to lash out violently, trying to grab at the hands of the people that were holding him down. The men began to pin religious medals to Robbie's clothes and they all took off their rosaries and placed them into his hands and they kept placing them in his hands even when Robbie said, it's burning, my fingers are burning. Bowden didn't let this distract him. He continued praying, praying until it, you know, the tension was broken again by a clear and angelic voice that was coming from Robbie. And he said, Satan, Satan, I am St. Michael and I command you, Satan, and the other evil spirits to leave the body in the name of which Dominus immediately. Now, now. Bowden then realised the word which the demon had said Robbie would never say was Dominus because Robbie didn't know Latin before all of this. Ah. So it wouldn't have been a word he'd been like, oh, probably this, this will work. In Bishop's diary, it notes that now began the most violent contortions of the entire exorcism. It was the fight to the finish. Robbie was freeing his body of this demon. His body twisted in natural shapes and he screamed before suddenly becoming super still and in his own normal Robbie voice said, he's gone. With certainty in his heart, Bowden believed that the ordeal was finally over. Everybody was crying and joy and embracing each other. You know, like, job well done. Couldn't have done it without you, bro. And Robbie was radiant as he explained what he'd seen in his mind when he was in this trance or under this spell. And he said, a beautiful figure had appeared in a blinding white light carrying a flaming sword. The creature pointed its weapon to the pit where the devil and his minions stood. Satan, whose body was engulfed in fire, charged at the heavenly figure. The entity, who Bowden believes to be St. Michael, uttered the word Dominus, and it forced the evil back into the pit. And then bars had peered over the entrance, and the word spite was carved into the metal. The next day, the boy awoke from a peaceful night's sleep, and he was eager to attend Mass and receive his Holy Communion. And Bowden could see the child was happy, but in his heart, he was still thinking, I want that sign from God. And at that very moment, a sound like a bomb going off ricocheted around the hospital. And the source of the noise was Robbie's room. And when they got there, Robbie was stood next to his bed, smiling widely. And Bowden believed that this was his sign. How the fuck was that his sign? Is that not something terrifying? <laughs> you think a bomb's gone off and you go into a room and the kid is just grinning? That doesn't feel like a sign for good, Nathan. No, that that seems... What was the noise? Was it ever clarified or just... Some people said it sounded like a gun going off. Some people said it sounded like a bomb. But it was a very loud noise that didn't seem to have a source. But it sounded like it was coming from that room. Horrifying. But if you want to take that as a sign from God... Okay. Uh When Robbie left the hospital... Uh, brother rector Cornelius locked the room and he declared that it was going to be closed forever the brothers that were involved promised to keep the exorcism secret but Schulz had never made such a promise so when the family returned home he noticed that they weren't attending his services anymore and found out that Robbie had converted to Catholicism and his parents were going to follow suit. So I think he got a little bit pissy. 
and decided that, well, if you're no longer in my church, I don't have to keep anything we've ever talked about confidential anymore. Oh, Jesus. So in a meeting of the local branch of the Society for Parapsychology, he told everybody what he'd witnessed. Now, he didn't say it was in the Mannheim's home. He said it was in Mr. and Mrs. John Doe's home, but he used Robbie's actual first name. So it wasn't hard to deduce who he was talking about. Yeah. Because rumours had already spread, like the haunted house, the haunted boy. He explained what he'd seen and how it centred on the boy. And then reporters began to swarm the family and started pushing Schultz for more information. What happened? How had they got rid of the demon? Was it a hoax? That kind of shit. The, uh, the, the guy, Blatty, who wrote the book, The Exorcist, of which the film was based on, tracked down Bowden who had left St. Louis and was in charge of retreats at White House. Now, Bowden mentioned to Blatty that Bishop had kept a diary, but said he couldn't directly help them because he'd made a promise to the family and to his archbishop. The director of the film, uh, The Exorcist, also spoke to Bowden to get some details of what actually happened. And Bowden handed over a tape from the Vatican of an actual exorcism being uh, conducted so he could see what kind of stuff happened. Jesus Christ. So it sounds crazy. Like, I can't tell you about this exorcism, but let me give you a video of a different one. Yeah. Now, as years passed, the tales of this lot room in the Alexian Brothers Hospital passed down from, like, the generations who worked there. Mm-hmm. And it got to the point where everyone who was originally involved had died. So they were talking about things that nobody there could confirm whether to be true or not. Yeah. In 1978, the hospital was torn down and all the patients were moved to a new site. Nobody wanted to be the one that unlocked that room. (laughs) Like everyone who worked there were like, here's the keys. We're going now. Bye-bye. We'll be off. (laughs) The furniture from that room was sold as part of a, a wider lot to a company that owned nursing homes. Oh, no. But apparently that particular set of furniture was never used. Um, and when that building was torn down, nobody would go into that room. The author of the book that this is uh, that I've used for research met Halloran, who made the copy of the diary for him. Um, Halloran was very much of the mind that only one person knows what truly happened and that was Robbie himself Mm -hmm. some sources say that Robbie doesn't have any memory of what happened he went on to go to a Catholic high school and apparently remains a devout Catholic he lives a happy and rewarding life and Alan heard rumours that Robbie named his first child Michael after the archangel who rescued him. And apparently Robbie's childhood home stood empty for many years. And the kids in the neighborhood called it the devil's house. It had broken windows, doors hung open, homeless people sometimes sat there. Sometimes in winter, a fire would be lit and it'd get out of control and the fire service has to be called. I find this really interesting. In 1964, the mayor and the fire chief 
trying to figure out what to do with this house. And they came up with this bizarre idea of a controlled fire that could be used as a training exercise. So men who were um, training to be firefighters um, would enter a room within this house that had been set on fire and would extinguish it. Volunteers watched as the house burned to the ground. A bulldozer (laughs) filled in the cellar. The ground was smoothed over. And the owner of the vacant lot has gone to great lengths to remain anonymous. But in 1992, it was sold for $22,500 to the Maryland National Capital Park and Planning Commission. And the site was used to make the adjacent school playground bigger. That's that's awful. I feel this should be like a salt the earth, forget about it scenario. Yeah. The church has never confirmed whether or not it was possession or a psychiatric incident. Um, There was uh, an investigator that was appointed to review the case. But as with the case files itself, the results of this was never made, never made public. (laughs) Now, Halloran's quite an interesting figure in this because he said that the kid didn't seem stronger than any other adolescent that was frustrated mm-hmm. and he was you know kicked in the face by him <laughs> I feel like he should know yeah and he said that the child did speak latin but a lot of latin was being said at him yeah so he could have picked it up like we said kids are sponges true and he ended up being an army chaplain in vietnam and he said he saw far more evil there than he did with Robbie Mannheim. Mm. You know, there are ideas that it could be a personality disorder. The demonic figure could be a part of a split personality. Mm-hmm. It could be evidence that the person has a you know a tormented psyche. Alan, who authored the book that we've used here, said that he did speak to an expert And he said that the patients he has encountered who have become possessed invariably have a history of sexual abuse in childhood. Mm. Mm -hmm. But there's no mention of that. Uh, Another suggestion that it could be Tourette's. Uh, Patients who suffer from this condition can uncontrollably scream, swear, grunt and twitch. Alan said that some specialists in Tourette's said that Reagan, who's the character in the film, displays many symptoms of Tourette's, but in a very exaggerated way. However, on the flip side, Robbie seems to have been cured and Tourette's is not curable. Um, Dr. Judith Rappaport, I think that's how you say her name, Rappaport, suggests that it could be childhood schizophrenia, but being diagnosed that early on is very, very rare because it happens in late adolescence or early adulthood. There are some atypical cases, it's mostly boys, and they usually develop symptoms around the age of eight, and they usually start off with hearing voices or having um, uh, hallucinations, visual hallucinations, what I'm trying to say. Okay. And then Father, Father Nicola, who was the priest that advised for the film, later advised psychiatrists who believed their patients needed exorcisms and he he counseled against this until 
preternatural signs occurred, such as the ability to read minds, speaking in unknown languages, having strength beyond their natural powers. And he didn't believe that Robbie was possessed. See, it's not the impression that I really got either. And maybe that's because, as we've discussed before, demonic possession is hard to get behind unless you are of faith and we are not. Yeah. I think in the modern world, um, mental health or personality disorders would make much more sense. Yeah. But maybe then that's how we understand ex uh, possessions. Maybe these people are possessed and we just want to um, sanitise it rather than accepting it to be an issue of faith. Yeah. We've normalised something that isn't normal. Exactly. Exactly. Hmm. What do you think? Was our Robbie possessed or was he just a dickhead? <laughs> was he just a little <laughs> shit? Um, um, I don't know, because like we said, there's a lot of things that are quite childish. Mm-hmm. But then does that just play into the idea that demons are just mischievous and... and yeah, um, possibly. And I suppose it, it can't be discounted that these accounts were written by holy men mm-hmm. who would have a vested interest in making it into something more than it is. Yeah. 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 It kind of affirms their belief, doesn't it? Yeah. Like the, there yeah. must be a God and there must be a devil because look at this child. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a few things in there that are, are pretty terrifying, but the, the mind's a really powerful thing. If you have some kind of personality disorder, mm-hmm. your mind can convince you that you are feeling certain things. Keep in mind that, Pain is an emotional response. It's not a physical response. So your brain can tell you you're feeling pain, even though you're not. So Mm. uh, some kind of disorder can tell you, Christ, this piss is burning my leg. And it's not, but your brain is telling you that it is because you've convinced, you know what I mean? You've wired yourself up in a certain way that that, that tells you. And his parents were open to the belief of the supernatural, the paranormal, so yeah. I think they were they were prime candidates for being persuaded that this was demonic possession rather than uh, a mental health crisis. Yeah, they were already teetering on the edge. Mm. And the people who had authority in their lives, Schulz, he encouraged them to seek out help from the Catholic Church in the first instance. True. So if somebody who you've placed an enormous amount of trust in recommend something or gives you advice you're very likely to to follow that and if your parents believe that you're possessed and you're a, you know a kid who follows the rules who's obedient you might think maybe i am possessed mm. and then the the symptoms of i suppose the possession get wrapped up into the mental health crisis and you start acting more like you're obsessed because yeah, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, but not because of anything in the subconscious. It's self-fulfilling in the sense that you are giving you are giving a mental disorder the ammunition that it needs to fabricate the 
kind of reality that you're telling it that it is yeah in. yeah it's um it's it's like anything in this sort of vein that we will 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 never know it's it, it raises a lot of interesting questions though which i like um i think the jury is out for us as always <laughs> on uh on that note then if well just tell us what you think because as ever we're sat on the fence we are um, i always like, like reading and uh, listening to other people's theories of stuff Mm, yeah yeah absolutely so if you do have uh theories that you would like to to posit deposit a theory is that the right word fuck it is uh do let us know um <laughs> either through our social medias we are at spooker natural no we're not we're at spooker pod is that right yeah and yes. on instagram and mm-hmm. uh twitter the one with the bird and email spookerpod at gmail.com if you go to facebook and search spooker natural you will find us there um give us likes give us messages just interact Review, with us we're bored subscribe yes yes i'm getting to it um, also subscribe and also uh like and review and give stars on the various starring platforms so be it apple podcast or oh, whatever. and if you're out there robert Mannheim, get in touch yeah although that's not <laughs> your name so you probably haven't got a fucking no. clue you're listening to this going that's weird that sounds like my story but my name is jeff <laughs> uh robert Mannheim or roland doe that's how R- Roland. Yes. Roland. Speaking of Roberts, our love and respects and apologies to Robert the Doll. And I think that's probably going to do us for this week and for the end of this three parter saga. Our first three parter. That was a slog, man. Yeah, it was. I wasn't really a fan of the Catholic Church beforehand. Oh, well. Nope. <laughs> we'll do something uh, not Catholic y next week. Yes. Yes, please. (laughs) (laughs) Until then, see you soon. Bye. Bye.